Welcome back to Voices from Healthcare. Every other week, I seek to paint healthcare in vivid color as I learn more about the human side of medicine. In this episode of Voices from Healthcare. Every day I feel like we learn about more more needs that need to be addressed and that comes with um, more time that has to be dedicated with that. So that has, has I think, led to an over, um, overstretched healthcare system where we don't have the time a lot of the time to spend with patients, the appropriate amount of time to spend with patients, especially in a hospital setting, um, where I've shadowed, it's it's a 15 minute appointment, and I'm sure people are, are um, familiar with this, of like the in and out of, you have 15 minutes um, to kind of explain your symptoms, get a diagnosis, all this stuff. Um, and that really depends, I think, on the context you're in, but a lot of times it's the time is valuable and crucial and and so short Um, and I think where that's most noticeable is in patients who are not um, who don't speak English as their first language and so I've had many experiences um, shadowing where that has become a real uh, hurdle that they have to overcome and it's impossible at some time sometimes to explain complex medical issues um, with you know an, an interphone translation system, um, and that's really my passion is figuring out how we can serve people um, who don't speak English as a first language better in in the healthcare system. Welcome back to another episode. Today I am connecting with a friend and fellow undergraduate pre med student. I will gain insight into a young, innovative, and international voice on the world of healthcare. Serafina is an Austrian-Ethiopian-American who is educated in the French and Austrian schooling systems. She has a beautiful vision to provide medical care within the world of pediatrics. While at Gordon College, Serafina has served as the program assistant in the Career and Connections Institute. Vice President of the American Scientific Affiliation and Teaching Assistant for the French Department. Most recently, she served as a Presidential Fellow in the President's Office and as a Research Assistant in the Biology Department. Serafina is such a thoughtful and genuine individual, and it is such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Serafina. Thanks so much for having me, Jonathan. I want to start off with the beginnings and kind of look at the early stages So you grew up in Austria in a very international community where you were educated in the French and Austrian schooling systems. We'll look at your educational journey later in the podcast, but for now, could you just give us a unique window into your home life growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So to give a little more context, um, my mom is Ethiopian-American and my dad is Austrian. um, And I just remember growing up around this like weird mix of cultures um my parents very intentionally raised me bilingually so as a kid my mom would speak to me only in English and my dad only in German and um that's kind of how I grew up I have a younger brother so we communicated in like a blend of languages often um and then later went to French school so it was even more a blend um but yeah, a lot of the things I remember is just navigating that idea of having family across the world. And um, I remember kind of as a core memory, um, being on the phone for hours with my um, Ethiopian family, but never having met them, um, kind of having my mom translate, because I, I never learned um, Amharic, the, the language spoken there. Um, so that experience probably shaped me and then um, I would say my parents tried to expose me to a lot of things growing up so um, kind of the um, Austrian traditional Austrian activities or games or or even my love for skiing and um, maybe tennis um, that was very much like the Austrian side Um, yeah 
And you've touched on it a little bit before already, but could you just describe and explain that cultural world where you grew up, such as the language, food, the way of life a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So some people would call um, me a TCK because I kind of have that uh, third culture kid, that blend of cultures. Um, So the culture I grew up in, I wouldn't call it either Austrian or American or Ethiopian, but my parents kind of made this unique little bubble. Um, both my parents cook, so I got a lot of, um, Ethiopian, a lot of Austrian, a lot of blend, a lot of my mom's just, you know, experimenting with things that you can't really attribute to any culture. My dad passed down German, my mom passed down English, um, I never really, um, fully became fluent in Amharic, my mom's mother tongue but um, I can pick out certain words and try to (laughs) kind of know what the conversation is about at least. Um, Yeah, in in the way of life, I'd say it was very European, um, being raised in Austria, um, living in Vienna, the capital city, it was, um, I think, pretty typical of of their, that region. And so, We've talked about it a little bit already, but just growing up in that international community. So you are an Austrian citizen, but you received both an Austrian and French diploma. Um, Could you bring us into that international environment a little bit? Yeah. And just kind of that background. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, So in addition to my home life, the the communities I was kind of exposed to were, um, were all pretty international. They weren't very Austrian, I would say. Um, My school being a French school attracted a lot of people who had lived abroad in um, France or just across the world because the French system is um, has schools across the world so it's very easy if you know you're going to be transitioning a lot um, like um, uh, children of diplomats or or just people who stay in a country for maybe three years at a time. Um, It's easy for them to transition between um, French schools because it's the same system. Um, So a lot of the community I grew up around in school was from across the world. Like most of my friends had lived in three or four countries by the time they came to Austria and kind of carried that with them. Um, And my church as well was very international. Um, We had 80 countries represented, I think. Um, I think nine different services in different languages. So all that like contributed to me not really feeling super Austrian, but I would describe myself as like a European citizen or maybe even even if it sounds cliche, citizen of the world. Um, yeah, so that kind of influenced my sense of identity, um, but also exposed me to a lot. We have the UN, maybe it, not even one um, uh, tram station away from where I live. So the headquarters of very international body mm. right there. And so I was always very aware of um, different cultures, different and, and knowing how to interact with different cultures. And then um, I think it also helped me see Austria in perspective. So my life was never fully rooted in Austria, if that makes sense. I mm. always I always felt like I needed to explore everything because I'd met so many people from different places. Um, yeah. That's great to get that international perspective. And you're right, it can really affect your outlook and it can affect um, kind of how you see the world and how you were saying you feel like a, a citizen of the world. And that's that's really cool to, to get a little insight into that. Um, I want to transition a little bit into the education side of things. Did you always have a love for medicine or did this develop over time? That's, that's a really great question. Um, the funny part is I actually, growing up, wanted to be anything but a doctor. I'm not kidding you. I, that would have been my answer early on. Um, I think mainly because everyone as a kid at least in my surrounding, wanted to be a doctor. And so I was like, no, I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. Um, But as I grew up, I really loved the sciences um, and I started to specialize in biology in high school. Um, And finally, based on a couple like 
personal um, events, um, some, some family members just getting really sick um, and being exposed to medicine in a, in a more, um, you know, direct way. Um, I, I kind of started to see how much you can help people as, as a person in the, the healthcare field. Um, I remember growing up, my, my mom would, people regularly ask you all the time, what do you want to be when you grow up? And um, I would always say, I want to help people. And that's like the cliche answer. And my mom was very, very insistent in saying, you can help people whatever you do. She's an economist. So she was like, that's not helpful. You're not giving me an answer. Um, but by the time I reached high school and, um, and, and the latter years of high school, I kind of was exposed to medicine. And I think the kicker for me was doing an internship in a pediatric clinic. Um, to be honest, the first week, hated it. Like, I, I shadowed for a week. It was all these crying babies doing the same thing again and again, like day in, day out, weighing them. Um, and I just thought to myself, I can't weigh babies for the rest of my life. Um, but I had already committed to um, a four-week internship after that. So kind of grudgingly, I went back. And over those four weeks, I kind of fell in love with the environment, with the people, um, and their dedication to learning and their dedication to, um, um, yeah, really caring for people and caring for babies as well as parents. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was kind of the start of my love for medicine. And then what really, really tied it all together is realizing how much medicine ties in all my loves of, like, of science, um, studying, but also working with people, around people, um, yeah. We've talked about it before on the podcast, but there's that beautiful moment when you combine who you are and your passions and your loves and desires with what you want to do. Yeah. And you are not your job, but also there's that integration piece, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and like you're saying, growing up in an early age and then realizing at your core that you want to help people, and then sometimes that personal experience can push you over the edge to end mm -hmm. up pursuing that. Mm -hmm. um, were there any key mentors or formative moments throughout your educational journey? Or you've touched on your internship experience at the pediatric clinic. Were there any mentors during that time that further confirmed your direction for medicine? Um, yeah, so I think that in, in that experience um, at that clinic, that was actually my, my doctor, my pediatrician um, had started that clinic. And so he, he's someone I look up to a lot. He's, um, he was one of the first uh, people to set up the type of clinic he did in Vienna. Um, and always the kindest, most um, like best bedside, bedside manner I've ever seen. I, I really loved him and um, I also was very um, inspired by him. He, after having set up his clinic, um, went back to school and got another doctorate. As far as mentors who kind of affirmed the, that medicine was a good path for me, um, I'd say a lot of people here at Gordon have, um, whether that's my professors or even just spiritual mentors um, I've talked to. Gordon is a, such a great community and, and um, I found a lot of people who have encouraged me in that. Um, I'd say my number one fan is probably my mom, but that's mm. pretty common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you need you need all of those mentors and it can't just be one sometimes, but you need mm -hmm. many to come together and sometimes confirm that ultimate path and direction and desire. Um, I want to touch on your journey to America a little bit. Mm -hmm. How did you first decide that you wanted to pursue your undergraduate education in the States? That's a good question. <laughs> That's a good question, especially because education in Austria is free. So um, right. <laughs> <laughs> you need to be convinced. You need to be pretty uh, certain in your decision. Um, there's a lot of factors. I kind of talked about not feeling very Austrian. Mm -hmm. um, so that was part of... of 
my want to leave Austria. Um, part of it is also because of that international community of friends who had lived around the world and by the time I was 18 I was like okay this is my turn I get to live somewhere else um, so that was influential but I think an, uh, the most important was probably hearing from my mom she uh, went to school in Boston and just growing up I, I continually heard about how great Boston is um, and there's so many factors that go into this decision. Another one would be um, I wanted to pursue education in English. Um, by the end of my high school career, I did not want to continue um, learning in German. And um, yeah, French, France didn't really sound appealing to me. So yeah, America it was. Um, I also have family here. So that was another another aspect. I, I'd say the most important was I felt the Lord really call me. Um, I can I can tell you right now every detail of the day um, in church where I felt the Lord say that to me very clearly. So oh. that that was very very persuasive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you first came to America, did you experience any culture shock when you first arrived? Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a hard question because I'd say at first glance, at least to me, Austria and America don't have very dissimilar cultures. They're both, you know, Western, um, cultures with a lot of the same outlook and a lot of the same mentality, um, surrounding different things. So I didn't, I think at first I was more experiencing college shock. The, more than culture shock and kind of like finding my way through college. But even now, um, I think I still am adapting four years later to life in the U.S. Um, and it's it's the subtle things really. Um, at first, what was most disorienting were, was not recognizing brands in the supermarket. Um, even, you don't really say supermarket, do you? You say grocery store? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, <laughs> even things like that. Um, so that was a lot of just adjusting um, language, adjusting, just getting to know the area really. Um, but yeah, I think there's still things I'm learning today that I'm surprised with every day. The other day I learned that it's totally normal to go outside with a bowl, like a ceramic bowl to eat with yeah. your fork and knife. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> we, don't, we don't really, uh, like leave our houses or our apartments and go to a park and eat with your actual like cutlery from home wow. that just seems so weird to me yeah so it would be pretty different it's it's just the little things that continually I'll get shocked at and and yeah and it's interesting too that as soon as you had that time of coming to America and living in America for the first time, you also were going to college for the first time. Yeah. And so there's that college shock as well, yeah. that like yeah. both of those things going on. Yeah. To this day, I often don't know whether it's an America thing or a college thing. I'm like, I don't know, this is weird, but I don't know why. <laughs> right, right. Um, in terms of your educational journey, so you initially wanted to pursue a political science and biology double major. Um, but you ended up minoring in biology with a minor in neuroscience. Could you explain for us your educational journey and how you felt led to pursue that specific course of study? Yeah. Um, so the reason I wanted to do both biology and political science is because I understood, like the basics of what I understood is that the American political system is very complicated. <laughs> That's all I knew. Um, and so coming here, I, I think I had a, a large passion for public health, and um, I had heard about the disparities. Um, I mean, we have them, of course, as well, but that was kind of my passion of, of seeing how we can make healthcare better. Um, and so I wanted to learn about the political system because I, I thought to myself, you can't change something you don't know. Um, if you don't know how to work, how it works, how are you going to change it? Um, so that was kind of the hope. I also really enjoy international affairs and and just geopolitics. I did a lot of MUN growing up, and so Model United Nations. Um, 
and so that was kind of, you know, passion on the side. Um, but as time went on, I understood that I really wanted to focus on one thing and, and be kind of good at something <laughs> instead of spreading myself too thin. Um, and the reality is, is a biology major is pretty, you know, broad and challenging and, and I wanted to be able to s graduate with a degree knowing that I, I, I knew this field as much as you can, you know, biology is so broad, right. but, um, yeah, I, I wanted more expertise and, um, finally decided to do biology and then, um, that kind of led me into neuroscience because um, not so much, this will sound funny or controversial, not so much because of the brain or the nervous system itself, but because I, I just had such a curiosity for how things work at every level. And I felt that I, I was getting certain levels in my class, like molecular biology, I got the molecular cellular level. A&P, I got, you know, broad system level. And some of the neuroscience courses are really good at connecting those. Um, so I'm in one class right now, NeuroPhys, um, where it really spans all levels. You're going from the cell to the sp how the spinal cord is divided up and, and pathways that are very broad, like you need a broad view to see, um, but then you can also zoom in. And I really love that about biology, about science. So that's why I went into neuroscience, um, and yeah, I I love it. It's so much fun. It's so much work, but it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, that's great though to get that perspective. I don't think I've heard that perspective before of wanting to get from the minute details and the very very small, and then also the expanse. So yeah. with a biology degree and the neuroscience aspect, you can connect both of those yeah. worlds, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. Um, so you've, you've been in college for a bit now. You're, you're wrapping up. You can see the finish line. Um, so I know, I know. As an upperclassman looking back, are there any practical um, ways and advice that you would give to prospective students, people that are freshmen now, sophomores, or even people who are still in high school and looking to go into college? Any, mm -hmm. any practical advice that you've learned for hands-on experience mm -hmm. kind of in these years? Yeah, I'd say shadow. I'd say um, reach out to your doctor, reach out to um, like your primary care physician, any specialist you've seen, anyone who lives in your area near your school. Um, physicians are really, really, really willing to help you kind of get a glimpse into it, and I think that's the most important is understanding the day-to-day -day lives. And then I'd say the other thing is, um, this is maybe not hands-on experience, but something that was really important for me is ask good questions to um, you know, people who were further along, whether that's physicians or people in completely different fields. It's really important to get perspective because we're young and we don't know a lot. So, um, yeah, understanding where, where you might be going. Um, I'd say other hands-on experiences. It depends on the person. I'd say, as a biologist, I really like um, things like research. And so kind of getting into that was my hands-on experience. That's been a, such a huge theme for the pre-med uh, track or pre-PA, or there's a lot of tracks that are really good for that shadowing experience and it's relatively simple to get started. You have to fill out some paperwork, um, but just reaching out and asking if you can shadow mm -hmm. and then you get that experience to observe them and, and see what you enjoy, mm -hmm. um, which is really cool. We've, we've talked about that idea of ga gaining hands-on experience uh, before you officially enter into the workspace and I want to look at another way to get good experiences, and that's the aspect of internships. Um, they can really serve as a catalyst for growth in your undergraduate years. You learn so much in an internship. I just finished an internship this past summer, and I learned more than I ever thought I could um, mm -hmm. in those couple of months. You've had some experience with that as well. You served as a summer intern for the First Vienna Pediatric Medical Center, and then later you served in an assistant living home in Wisconsin. 
Could you touch on your work in those spaces and kind of what you learned through it? Yeah, yeah. So the the pediatric medical center in Vienna um, was the clinic I was talking about earlier. Um, in that in that role, I really, you know, fell in love for real with medicine. I'd say. Yeah, I I'd say the more more hands-on experience with the assisted living home in Wisconsin. I I was there during COVID um, and was able to do a lot of CNA type activities. Um, and I was there for five months, so I don't think I worked the full five months, but um, I was able to really build relationships with, with patients, um, residents there, and with the staff. And so I think that's an important part of healthcare is building relationships and being able to um, connect with people well, people that you're serving. Um, and I, I really learned how important that is in that setting um, with you know very difficult residents who were pretty pretty um, senile at some points and and um, yeah, it also put things into perspective for me. Um, as a person in healthcare, because you kind of see people who might not be passionate about the job and really what difference that makes. Um, so it, it really formed, you know, my perception of who I want to become and, and what kind of healthcare professional I want to be and um, made me attuned to some of the needs in the field. Um, yeah. That's really valuable. Um, a facet of internships, sometimes you're going to mainly observe or sometimes you're doing more volunteer work um, and sometimes you're involved in certain research capacities as well. You've gone to do more research here in the States. I know that sometimes you can't share too much, but is there anything you could share about that experience of just doing research here and what you've learned through that as well? Yeah, yeah. So I've been in, in multiple different roles. Um, I started my sophomore year um, in collaboration with a local um, biomaterials company looking at wound healing. Um, and that was actually a really cool experience because I had just finished a project for one of my classes um, that was supposed to be a research proposal and I had done it on wound, wound healing not knowing that that was a possibility for me to work on and um, connected with a professor and she's like, I'm working on wound healing. So that was a really, really cool experience to um, kind of apply what I had just learned. Um, I really liked that experience. It was, it was great to get some um, mouse research, animal research um, experience, um, very hands-on, some cell culture research. I can't really, as you said, share any of the um, uh, details, but um, yeah, I was able to present the research at a conference. Um, so all of these skills, I think, are very valuable. Some other things I've been involved with is now um, a collaboration with Boston University, where we're looking at um, how microbleeds in the brain, in, in mice brains, um, can be impacted by inflammation levels um, and whether that is linked to dementia or not. And so kind of having that connection to a real, you know, disease that I've seen play out in people yeah. in the assisted living home um, is so valuable. It, it's, it's really cool to be able to do research on, on, on subjects that, um, or on topics that are so connected to medicine, but are still very biological and, and you know, basic research in nature. Um, it's been, they've all been really great experiences, mainly because my mentors are so great, and I love working with, with my Gordon, the Gordon professors that have been involved in that. That is so valuable to get that internship experience, and you can begin your development within the professional space, and you know, those relationships that you form now can be very impactful later in the future. Uh, which is really important. So we've touched on it before, but you're a pre-med student, you're studying biology with a minor in neuroscience. 
that alone, you know, that course of study is very hard and there's a constant quest for finding that balance between social and professional life. When there's high stress, sometimes we're quick to sacrifice our sleep, nutrition, our overall well-being. Can you just touch on how students can have maybe a more sustainable or healthier approach to academics and what you've learned through your personal experience? Yeah, I think that's so important. Um, I'd say the realization that school isn't everything. And um, I've heard various doctors say things like, you know, the best students don't always make the best doctors. Um, so I think the important thing is to realize you're a whole person and you need to take care of your whole self. Um, I think invariably everyone is going to go through that journey of realizing that for themselves. Um, I can talk at you all day. You're not going to you know, realize that unless you, you kind of test your limits. And that has been my experience. I came in very much, I can do everything. Um, we've kind of touched on that with the poli-sci and, and bio double major um, and other things extracurriculars wanting to you know as a pre-med there's that pressure of starting this starting that being the president of this all that pressure um, and I think it comes to a certain point where you just can't anymore and often I, at least for me I need to learn the hard way so I heard I learned the hard way um, it, it really did come to a point of this is not sustainable this is not good for me um, and I had to take a step back and I think it's really important to realize put things into perspectives and realize um, the value of developing as a person I think that medical schools also notice that and see that in interviews and um, it's important to make sure you're developing as a person um, practically I would say have friends who are not necessarily on that pre-med grind um, but also friends in it who can keep you accountable and and can tell you listen we need to take a break or um, we're gonna we're gonna take a whole day not to do anything or um, developing passions um, taking time for things outside of um, whether that's academics or, or other commitments um, work shadowing whatever it is um, have other passions and make sure you sleep sleep eight <laughs> hours <laughs> it really really does make the difference so don't compromise your sleep yeah no that's so important and I know for me my freshman year when I was starting in and I had that initial desire I want to do everything I want to have so many minors I want to major in yeah. kines and I want to do all of these things and I would sacrifice sleep and I'd be like well I can I can catch up later but it really does matter sustainably thinking about the long term. You know, as a pre-med student, we finish our undergraduate education and then we're in it for the long run. There's a lot more education ahead of us and building good habits now and just figuring out what works for you personally. And you're right, like academics can't be all of who you are. Um, it's yeah. a part of who you are and yeah. you definitely have to balance that. Um, yeah. You've served before as a presidential fellow, resident advisor, teaching assistant for multiple classes. How were you first motivated to step into some of those leadership positions? Yeah, that's good. Um, I'd say I'd say just growing up, my parents were very, very affirming of um, me as a leader. I think that's a trend in our generation, kind of, of, you know, you can do anything, you can be a leader born to lead um, and that was very much my parents so um, that that was very much my experience I'd also say that there was maybe this is where the culture shock comes in there was a, a difference in again I don't know if this is a college thing or an American thing but um, a difference in how leadership was approached in Austria versus in in the states and it was a lot more leadership roles were a lot more accessible here um, and so it was it was it felt easy it felt almost like offered at some point very much encouraged by the community to step into those roles and so um, I'd, I'd say it's it's the community around me that was so um, 
affirming, but also other students who are extremely motivated and extremely leadership driven um, that that pushed me and, and that encouraged me to go for those those roles. Um, and I think that you develop a lot as a person when you are put into positions of leadership. I think we all need to learn how to lead well and we all need to learn how to follow well. But um, you learn so much. I'd say as a resident advisor, um, I probably learned more about me as a person in that year than I did in any other capacity and, and with any other experience. You, when you're responsible for other people and managing other people, you really learn what you're good at and what you're not good at um, because it affects so many people. And um, I think that those experiences are so valuable, but I also think, as I said, that it's really important to understand that following is valuable and taking this taking a step back when appropriate is is can be more effective than trying to lead um and so yeah there's a balance there that we need to strike and sometimes for people who are you know aspiring to go into healthcare, this pressure of having a resume having leadership experience is is very high and i'd say learn how to follow well mm. yeah there's both of those elements of following well and leading and mm-hmm. you can't neglect one or the other mm-hmm. um, I've heard before that medicine is a calling that it's not just something that you know you want to pursue but there's a level that you have to be called to that mm-hmm. um, how do you think looking back how do you think a student understands if medicine is the right path for them that's such a good question such a crucial question um, I think there's a lot of things um, I'm, I consider myself pretty spiritual, so I'd say pray. <laughs> That's my first mm-hmm. avenue. Um, I think that our, our purpose and our calling on earth is God-given. And so I think it's really important to spend some time um, kind of surrendering your life and saying, Lord, what do you want to do with that? Um, along with that, I'd say self-evaluation and and meditation is really important and understanding what you're good at understanding um your limits and if if something is is really hard to you that should come easy that's not necessarily a disqualifier but um i do think that it's going to make the rest of the ways such a battle uphill battle and i think we're all created with different um, affinities for a certain um, areas and yeah I'd say look to your skill set look to what you're good at what you enjoy doing um, if you really really enjoy learning about the human body pursue medicine if that's if you can't stand the thought of going into a cadaver lab maybe don't um, but it it's not an easy process and it's a a long long educational journey so i'd say really knowing yourself knowing what you're good at knowing what you enjoy and understanding how much you want to continue to push yourself and whether that uphill battle is going to be worth it for you or not Um, a big aspect of that is realizing i think what work-life balance looks like as a physician and um, depending on what field you go into it's going to be a all-encompassing thing like you don't ever fully get off the clock depending on what context you're in that's also something to consider what you hope for in terms of family life all of that um, really important to think about and um, yeah I, another thing I'd say is talk to, to people, as I said, that are older than you, much older than you. Mm-hmm. Um, physicians, other people in healthcare, um, professors, um, people in totally different fields, and, and gain an understanding of what lifestyle comes with what job, because that's, that's a reality that I, I don't think I 
a grasp that your your lifestyle is going to be impacted by your profession a lot. Um, and so if if you want a family and you want to be there for your kids a lot, um, they're going to be diff like even within healthcare, you can still go into healthcare, but there are going to be some specialties or, or jobs that are maybe not as uh, appealing. Um, there's that aspect of combining, like we've talked about before, like you really have to look within yourself and find exactly what the right path is for you. And it's not just a career that you want to pursue because you love that area of medicine, but you're right, there's that family aspect to consider too when you're older, and there's just a lot more that can go into that decision. Um, in our conversations before, you've talked about bringing back the humanness of medicine, that we've lost that ability a little bit. Could you describe this creative vision and how you seek or plan to grow this vision kind of throughout your career? Yeah. Um, yes. So I think we've come to a place where we're aware of the need um, and there's so, so many different um, needs that we don't even we didn't even know about in the past. You were just talking to me about your internship and how you were talking how you were researching um, anesthesia in in um, children with Down syndrome. I didn't know that that was an issue. You know, <laughs> every day I feel like we learn about more more needs that need to be addressed, and that comes with um, more time that has to be dedicated with that. So that has has I think led to an over um, overstretched healthcare system where we don't have the time a lot of the time to spend with patient the appropriate amount of time to spend with patients especially in a hospital setting where I've shadowed it's it's a 15 minute appointment and I'm sure people are, are um, familiar with this of like the in and out of you have 15 minutes um, to kind of explain your symptoms get a diagnosis all this stuff um, and that really depends, I think, on the context you're in, but a lot of times it's the time is valuable and crucial and, and so short. Um, and I think where that's most noticeable is in pa patients who are not, um, who don't speak English as their first language. And so I've had many experiences um, shadowing where that has become a real uh, hurdle that they have to overcome. And it's impossible at some time, sometimes to explain complex medical issues um, with, you know, an, an interphone translation system. Um, and that's really my passion is figuring out how we can serve people um, who don't speak English as a first language better in, in the healthcare system and how we can... Um, spend the appropriate time getting to know the person as a whole getting to because that's what you're gonna what is gonna make you a better doctor and gonna make you be able to understand your patients better and, and understand even the the collection of symptoms um mm -hmm. is spending time and getting to know with the patient um so i think that's that's something that we definitely could work on and um yeah, I've become passionate about. It's a beautiful vision, and it is so important. Um, I want to touch a little bit on the diversity within healthcare. There's so much diversity from PACU nurses to cardiologists to surgical techs, yet there's also great cultural diversity within healthcare. Today, there are so many cultures and identities represented within the field, and yet it didn't always used to be this way. Medicine used to be a primarily white-dominated field. Could you speak on the power of being a woman in color within healthcare and yeah. as you pursue your dream? Yeah, thank you for asking that. I think um, medicine is so beautiful because it, it addresses a universal basic need. Mm. Every person on the planet knows what it's like to need a doctor. Um, and so... I also think that the field is one of the most diverse because of that reason. You can emigrate and easily, the need for your um, skills is, is recognized. There might be some difficulty in getting the certifications and all that, but um, it is 
it is a need that every culture, every context understands. Um, and so it's, it is, the beauty of medicine is that it is such a diverse field um, now. Despite that, there's still, um, you know, the remnant of, of not, of the lack of accessibility for certain people groups to get into medicine. Um, I think for me, it's been a whole journey, especially within the, with, with coming to the U.S. of exploring my identity and what it means to be a woman of color in the U.S., which is so different from different, from Austria. Um, I think healthcare is probably, especially in the Boston region, is probably a very accepting field where it's not as hard. I think of some of my friends going into finance and, and hearing about them being, you know, the, the only woman of color in the whole company, which will probably not happen if I, if I practice medicine in Boston. But I think, I think the, the power of having representation in a field where you address such a basic need is that your patient population is going to feel recognized and and um, addressed. I've shouted a lot at MGH, and um, there's a very diverse uh, patient population there. And being able to enter a room where you feel seen um, because you feel understood because you look like the person who's serving you, I think is is very valuable. And of course, that's not gonna be the case. You know, all of us look a certain way. That's nobody is, not everyone is gonna feel seen, um, even by me. Um, mm. But I think that having representation is so important. And so that's kind of the power and the challenge um, of being a woman of color in healthcare. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing and bringing us into that world. I think it's a really important idea to touch on. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I want to look a little bit into creative loves and the idea of that. You've mentioned this before of not having medicine be all that you are and having passions and loves outside of healthcare and outside of medicine. Um, yet these um, creative loves sometimes, we've talked about the importance of hobbies versus experience before in mm -hmm. previous conversations about how you can do something, not necessarily to excel at it and to be the best at it, mm -hmm. um, but there's a stage of doing something to just experience it and to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, could you describe just in your own personal life how you've yeah. sought to kind of integrate creative loves and yeah. that avenue? Yeah, that's, that's a great distinction. Um, I think a lot of the times we have this pressure, even, even I think in college application mode of, um, your hobbies having to be what you're good at and um, kind of having more things than just academia to point to that you're you know dedicated that you're excelling that just having achievements basically outside of academia even um, and I think that that kind of often defeats the point of having a hobby because when you're starting to put that much pressure on yourself outside of academia it's not, it's to some extent not going to be as enjoyable anymore. Um, and I think there's real value in doing things just for the sake of doing them. I really, really love skiing. I will not be going to the Olympics for skiing anytime <laughs> soon, but I, I love it. I, and I think there's a moment, I think in my college career that I can point to where I kind of realized that, um, Achievements aren't everything and that's when I started letting myself spend time doing things I love that I wasn't necessarily good at. Now, I, I wouldn't say I'm bad at skiing, but um, it's not something that's going to get me an achievement necessarily, a medal, anything. Um, but it's something that really, really, really relaxes me and I enjoy doing so much. And so I started sacrificing some of my weekends and instead of studying all weekend I would go skiing even when I was in some upper level classes and I did just as well you know I have that having that time to do what you love is is crucial um, I think another point is it doesn't even have to be such a structured activity um, I fell in love with with 
spending time in nature again. Um, and it's not even a structured, what does that even mean? It could be taking a walk, going on a run, whatever. But um, giving ourselves space to breathe and space to live and space to be, just to be more than just a task-oriented, achievement-oriented um, unit. Uh, I think it's, it's such an overlooked thing. Um, you don't need to achieve with every moment of your day. Um, and that can be just as productive. There is that difference between achievements and experience. And sometimes it's not just achieving the next thing, but experiencing different areas and going into things that you might not necessarily be good at achieving. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. having those experiences is really, really important and it can fill you in some pretty distinct ways. Mm -hmm. um, I want to look at generally the world of medicine. Um, as a pre-med student, as an undergraduate going into healthcare, what do you see in the future of medicine that excites you? That's such a good question. Um, I'm really excited about a lot of um, advances that are, that are being made in, in, in terms of seeing people who historically haven't been seen. Um, whether that's recognizing that symptoms look different in different people, um, especially if they're um, of a different race or, or have different um, ethnic backgrounds. I'm very excited to see that reflected in our textbooks and reflected in our education. Within the world of undergraduate pre-med education, are there any pressing issues that you think need to be addressed? We've talked before about balancing um, your sleep, balancing like eating and, and that well-being aspect with your academics. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you can think of of just mm -hmm. a pressing need that you think needs to be addressed? I think I think that's my those things are most important to me in in even encountering younger pre-meds is is emphasizing the importance of the rest of your life and of becoming a real person. I think in college is the time where you really explore who you are, and that's such a cliche to say, but I, I can, I'm confident in saying I am not the same person I was four years ago mm -hmm. because of my experiences and because of this being such a formative time. Um, and I think I want to call younger pre-meds to realize that and to um, take the time to have experiences outside of medicine, outside of academia, and form themselves as a person. Um, I'd also want to highlight Gordon's pre-med um, kind of community is unique in the fact that I have never felt competition. I've never felt um, kind of backstabbing or any of the other things you hear about other colleges. And so I would encourage anyone out there um, who's in an environment like that? It doesn't have to be like that, and um, let's kind of take that. Let's take that out. Hmm. Let's let's not um, compete with each other. If we're all trying to eventually help people and create change, there's no need to have that backstabbing or that sense of unhealthy mm -hmm. competition mm -hmm. in a way that can tear others down. So, yeah. 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 Are there any non-negotiables that you have in life? Things that you know is like a key part of your life that are key to who you are and are mm -hmm. really important just as you live your life? Mm -hmm. I'd say something that's become increasing, increasingly important for me is the value of um, my spiritual life. Um, that's super, super important. And I think I kind of, um, you know, neglected it or or wanted to push it away saying I'm in science I need to be rational um, and Gordon has really helped me integrate those two aspects um, that's that is a non-negotiable for me I I want to keep pursuing the Lord and keep um, learning more about my faith um, and all of that I think that's that's probably the number one. I think the other is um, 
and I've talked about this so much in the podcast already, but um, never becoming too caught up in um, my career or in, in, you know, my primary income um, thing so much so that I don't have time to um, live yeah. <laughs> really yeah, yeah, yeah. and and enjoy enjoy the rest of my life I think that'll be a constant thing that I have to remind myself of um, because I'm definitely prone to overcommitting, overworking myself and I never want to go back to not not taking time to do things I enjoy that's really important. And then just in closing, is there any um, additional encouragement or advice that you would give to those beginning their uh, medical journey and those aspiring healthcare professionals? Yeah, I'd, uh, um, outside of what we've said, and I think I did actually touch on this, but I'd say look for mentors. And it doesn't have to be the traditional um, what we think of mentorship as, you know, seeing this certain person every two weeks and and learning from them. But anyone who is in your field or further along in life who can give you advice, um, take the advice and take um, and and learn from people who are older and and, um, further along. I think for me as, as a woman who has been in a lot of leadership positions, that can be challenging sometimes when you're in a room of of only um, men and having other very strong and determined um, women influence me and speak into my life has been so crucial and so encouraging and recognizing that our lives aren't that different from other people's and our fears aren't that different from other people's. so I'd say find people that can speak into your life um, and encourage you and, and help you to keep going, but also point out things in you that you shouldn't be doing or, um, yeah, just give good advice. Hmm. That's really good. Well, it's been awesome just to touch on your unique perspective, that international perspective of coming from Austria and then pursuing education here in America and then also your really powerful perspective of being a woman in color uh, within healthcare. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Serafina. Thank you so much for having me, Jonathan. I love what you're doing, so thanks. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Voices from Healthcare. This podcast seeks to give practical advice to aspiring healthcare professionals and encourage those within the healthcare field. If you appreciate the message and mission of this podcast, leave a rating and review on the platform you are listening to, and make sure to follow the podcast so that you do not miss out on future episodes. It really does help spread the word within the podcasting world. Tune in on December 20th as I explore the world of clinical research. I will connect with a nurse practitioner, clinical researcher, and entrepreneur. She worked in the research lab while going back to nursing school and ultimately completed a bachelor and master's in nursing and later the doctor of nursing practice degree. After completing her doctoral degree, she worked with leadership to create a dual role that has included research and innovation in addition to seeing patients. Her research centers around the development and testing of evidence-based digital health solutions for the reduction of pediatric perioperative anxiety. We will touch on standard medical research, her clinical practice, and how she embodies the role of an entrepreneur. Feel free to send me professions you want me to interview, questions you have, or neat stories you want to share with me. You can email me at voicesfromhealthcare at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast Instagram page at voicesfromhc. Here, I'll post important updates about season launches, episode information, and more. Although this podcast seeks to be informative, information discussed cannot be taken in place of medical advice.